welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I am joined, as I am every week, by the man, if I die up Pikes Peak next week, the one who gets my humidor and all its contents, Mr. Shane Reeves. Awesome. <laughs> just just drop that by my house just in case. I don't want to have to drive out to your house and recently your fully family. stocked as well. So oh. there's about there's about two boxes worth of cigars in there right now. Well, and our tastes are generally similar enough. It'll probably work out pretty well for me. Yeah, it's uh, about a half a box each of, or about two thirds of a box each of Avo Heritage, Oliva O, and uh, Charter Oak Toros. Well, let's get our cigars lit, and then I want to come back to that. Okay. And all, but this is a kind of a night of first for us. And all, you've never... I've smoked a Lancero on the show. You've never smoked a Lancero on the Have show. Have I not? I guess I probably haven't, because I tend to stay away from them. Yeah, so tell everybody what you're smoking tonight. All right, so before I get into the cigar itself, I just want to plug Austin Shop a little bit and, and give him some kudos. Anyone who says that marketing doesn't work is a liar. Uh, the kudos to Austin is that he's recently uh, made an addition to his humidor, which are these little tags on the... Did you see it when you went in there? Yes. These little tags on the, the shelves that says, New Cigar. And so, of course, it caught my attention. And what caught my attention more than that was the cigar that it was advertising, which is the Crowned Heads Four Kicks Limited Edition 2018 Maduro Lancero. I've got a question. Yes, it is crooked. Is that cigar crooked? Did, it he, is. Get, did he sell you? Did you buy a scratch and dent? <laughs> That's a scratch and dent cigar. He didn't I, sell that to you at full price, I, did he? I, I wish. Uh, I would have loved to have not paid full full price for this cigar. No, it it looks like a Calibra. It does. It's kind of crooked. <laughs> it's a it's a Cheroot Lancero. Um, but no, I mean this is so. This was originally a TAA exclusive blend, and they re- released it wider. A uh, couple of months ago, I think. And so it's only about 1,500 boxes that they're making of it. It is... I had it pulled up here. Um, Habana wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and Nicaraguan filler. So it's everything you expect out of Crown Heads these days. I've had the Four Kicks Maduro, and I really liked it. I'm not generally a Lancero fan, but it's a limited edition from Crown Heads. You know I'm smoking it. Sounds like a winner to me. So... The other first tonight, well, one of three first, the second first, I'm actually smoking a Cuban cigar tonight. Which, yeah, I, it's not something we've ever done on the show. I don't even, I think we even talked about how it probably might not even ever happen. Well, you know, then it probably wouldn't have if it was ever dependent, incumbent upon me just to bring a Cuban, okay, I'm going to smoke this on the show. Right. But a good friend of ours at the shop here just got back from London and he thoughtfully brought this back to me. It is a Monte Cristo Petit Tubo, so it's a small cigar. This is probably one of the smaller cigar pairings we've ever had on the show, especially as it comes to ring gauge. Yeah, collective ring gauge is less than one of us on most shows. Yeah, and so, but it was interesting because we came in... And he said, Austin checked it out and said it is real. And I immediately looked. And if you'll notice, you'll see the triple cap, the standard Cuban triple cap, um, the consistency, everything about this. This is definitely a real cigar. The embossed label. Yeah, the embossed Monte Cristo label. Everything about this is a real cigar. I don't think there's a, a bit of chance that this is not a real Cuban. But this was bought in London. Have you seen this tube? It has on the front, smoking kills, quit now. And then on the back, it has, your smoking harms your children, family, and friends. <laughs> All you um, pretentious something or others out there that think everything in Europe is better, I point you to that tube. Well, I will say this, though. At least it's a sticker. It's not, like, hard printed on the on the label. It is just a sticker, which... Someone has been trying to peel off. I don't know if that was you or Jay. I I think it was Jay. I think he didn't want my family and my children harmed. My lack of children harmed. (laughs) But I just got to say, what the heck? Yeah, but... Is that really necessary? Is that... Because, you know, it did not even slow me down from lighting this cigar. 
No, it didn't. But my my take on the whole situation is slightly different, which is who cares? Like the the warning label on the cigar tube does not slow me down, like you said. It doesn't affect me in any way. Like if they if they want to feel good about themselves putting warning labels all over things, then by all means, go for it. But what bothers me is how stupid do politicians think we are that that would actually sway us? Very. They think we are incredibly stupid and would just beat ourselves to death with hammers if left to our own devices. That's the problem. We may have discovered the problem. But didn't we say we weren't going to discuss politics before we started this podcast? Okay, so let's talk about something fun. This week, the Fuente, they have shipped FFOX Perfection 888s and 858 Rosado Sungrum. Now, this, when I read this, listen. tell me what part of this story causes your ears to perk up like a Labrador that just seen a duck. Okay. The 858 Rosado Sungrown. It's not a new cigar. Less than 100 boxes of it were sold in 2002, and it returned in 2009. Now it's back again. Ecuadorian Rosado Sungrown wrapper over Belinda Dominican fillers. Price is set at six thirty three per cigar and sold in boxes of twenty. That is a cheap cigar. That, did that not perk your ears straight yeah, up? That's, I mean, I mean, the A five eight has always been a budget cigar. Well, and see, the second of the new Fuentes is the Perfection eight eight eight. It's similar but not identical to the Añejo eight eight eight. It's six and seven eighths by forty four, quarter inch longer than the Añejo. And it is Dominican Puro tobaccos from the Chateau de la Fuente Farms, MSRP thirteen fifty a cigar. Hmm. So both really reasonable price cigars for, for Fuentes. What they are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of surprised me how how cheap that Rosado Sungrown is. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, we spoke about it when Drew Estate started coming out with the factory press, factory mm-hmm. box, or factory smokes is what they call them. Yes. The inexpensive cigars. And now the um, La Aurora is coming out with the Cazadores, C-A-Z-A-D-O-R-E-S. Value price M-O-U-S-E. brand that will be... <laughs> value price brand coming out of the La Aurora factory. The brand will feature three Vitolas, between $3.75 and $4.25. That is remarkably inexpensive. Connecticut wrapper, Indonesian binder, and fillers from the Dominican Republic. Oh, you've got my attention. Available uh, in Robusto, Toro, and Bellicoso in 20-count boxes. I'll tell you what. I've been smoking a lot of the Charter Oak lately, which does have a little bit of that Indonesian tobacco in it. And I, I can tell. Like, you can really taste that Indonesian tobacco. So that... I mean, the Connecticut wrapper I tend to stay away from as much as possible. And uh, not that's not entirely true, but it's not something I go to on a regular basis. And But putting it on top of the... Uh, <laughs> we're both a little distracted. We're, yeah, we're we both terribly a, distracted. <laughs> we just had a, a visitor walk by and drop us a note. Um, do you like me? Check yes or no. Okay. Uh, something, something along those lines. Um But yeah, so putting a Connecticut wrapper over a very flavorful leaf like Indonesian tobacco, I think, could be really, really interesting. Well, it's interesting that the market is turning toward these more low-priced cigars. That these, they recognize that the the cigar smoker wants his dollar to go further. Mm -hmm. And I will say that's one thing about the cigar industry. I don't think there's any industry that listens to their customers like the cigar industry does. No, absolutely. It seems that they that they're always asking questions, always finding out things. So I'm interested to see: Are we going to look at a new generation of low cost smokes coming down the turnpike? I mean, I think that's a very real possibility, especially since, and it's making me think. You know, we've been seeing a lot more of Mexican San Andreas lately, which tends to be a little bit less expensive leaf. Uh, and I mean, this may or may not be true, but just kind of drawing some parallels in my mind, the Charter Oak for the money is one of the best cigars on the market right now. Oh, yeah. Which, so it makes me wonder if the Indonesian tobacco is what's driving the cost down. And if that's the case. That very well could be. I mean, that that could be a big portion of it. And, all. and of course, basically what they're doing in most of these is doing the Cuban sandwich. They're taking the leftovers on the benches, the smaller pieces, things like that, and putting that together with some long filler to roll together to create an inexpensive, low-cost cigar. Yeah, absolutely. 
which is a, a great deal. I mean, that's, you know, if you're out, there's times that an inexpensive cigar is all I want. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be fishing and risk dropping a $10 cigar. No, I'm the same way. You know, if I'm, especially if it's one of those things, like we've been talking about a lot lately, where I'm shoehorning a, a cigar into a time slot where I may not otherwise have the time to enjoy it properly, then, yeah, you know, I, I want a little bit less expensive cigar that I'm not going to have to worry about all the tasting notes and nuances and stuff like that. Well, and this actually leads right into our topic because was having a conversation with a friend, friend of the show, Alex. Alex and I were talking the other night, and he referred to his Mochador, M-O-O-C-H-A-D-O-R. Yeah. To which I immediately texted you and said, I got a, got a topic next week's show, stocking the Mochador. Which is the first time I've ever heard that expression, but immediately knew what, I, what it meant. And I think this is brilliant because everybody has the the cigars that you don't really mind sharing. Well, and have you ever seen a deal come up on cigars, you know, cigar or a clearance deal even at a brick and mortar, and you're like, you know, that ain't my favorite cigar. But at four bucks a stick, I could put a few of those in the old moochador. In the golf bag or wherever. Yeah, and and then when somebody wants to bum a smoke, I'm not into them for $10 or $12 cigar. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. In fact, before you got your new cabinet humidor, and it may still be like this. I, I don't know. I haven't been over to your place in a while, but you keep you kind of the opposite, which you have your main humidor, and then you have your Shane's private collection. Yeah, I have my my the ultra premium cigars go in this humidor, right? And all, and keep them kind of locked away because I don't want to ever have anybody stand in front of my humidor and me say, "Ah, oh, don't smoke that one. Smoke this one." Yeah, we've all had that friend where, oh, do you need a cigar? Okay, and open up the travel humidor and it's like, okay, um, well, not that one or that one or well, not that one. It, it, any of the well, not that one. Any of those though. Yeah, you can smoke this one or. That one. Yeah. <laughs> no, these which these are your the, choices. Which, if that's the case, uh, and this is something I try to do, if I let's say I've got a 10 cigars in my little travel humidor, and I know that I'm saving six or seven of them, or, or they're kind of ones I don't really want to give away, rather than just open the humidor, I'm just going to reach in and pick the three that I'm willing to, to part with and say, here, one of these three. Well, and I've got a little salesmanship about me when I'm doing it. I'm like, okay, now this cigar is really, you know, especially if you know the person. Now, how many cigars you smoke? Oh, you don't smoke, but ever so often. You don't want a super, super yeah. strong smoke. You really ought to reach for this one. This is one of my favorites that won't choke you down. Right. And also, there can be a little bit of salesmanship involved in directing your, your said moocher to the correct cigar. Yeah. Now, that being said... Who has the friend that always smokes but never brings a cigar? I think we all have that friend. How does that guy sleep at night? Now, I have been that guy, though, in limited quantities. I mean, we've all been that guy at one point or another where you didn't realize there was going to be smoking at an event or you didn't, you know, and so you didn't bring anything with you. And it's like, "Ah, I got you this time. Well, and there are times when you don't ever get to repay that. The thing is, if I'm in a situation which virtually never happens where I don't happen to have a cigar on me and someone hands me a cigar and I smoke their cigar, I feel a little more obligated. I think I should carry more than my half of the conversation. I should be witty. I should be interesting. I really feel a social contract is established when you hand another gentleman a cigar. You're a cigar prostitute at that point. (laughs) Cigar hooker, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Cigar hooker, thank you. No, but because I expect when I hand a man a cigar, there is a social contract being written and being signed in ash right there in front of us. And he is committing, I'm going to spend this 45 minutes to an hour with you. I'm not going to look at my phone. I'm not going to text other people. I'm going to engage you on a deeply personal level. Again, I think you put so much stock into your cigar smoking. I think sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. But there's, you know, we walk through life with a certain amount of social contracts. Yeah. 
and all. Everything you do involves another human being, involves a certain level of social contract. And I think the cigar, being the gentleman's pursuit, has a implied contract with it. What do you expect of a man with whom you smoke a cigar? Literally nothing. I expect nothing in return for sharing a cigar with somebody. I think they... Well, so the thing that bothers me most about the millennial generation... Now, this is old, man, Sh- this is old man Shane saying, get off my yard. Yeah, okay. They have all developed this rare disease that they will go blind if they don't look at their phone every four and a half minutes. And they all think that they're smart enough to carry on a conversation with me and a text conversation with somebody else. I, I don't think you can paint with quite that broad a stroke. But I, I do see what you mean. I mean, I find that in, in the cigar shop, you get that less than you do anywhere else. How many times? Well, you haven't because you haven't been to poker lately. But at least once a week during the poker game, I have to say... Play on your phone or play on the table, but don't try to do both because you're doing neither well. <laughs> and, uh, and you know exactly who I'm usually hollering yeah, yeah, at that, hollering that at. But, I mean, but again, that's a little different. You're talking about a poker game as opposed to a one-on-one conversation. And I feel like anybody who's in a one-on-one conversation, for the most part, is going to be a little bit more cognizant of... of Dividing their attention a little bit, but you get somebody under the age of twenty-eight. They have no, they they don't consider it in any way at all a violation of the social contract to lift their phone up and look at it while you're talking to them. To me, that is abhorrent. That is a terrible, terrible thing. That's saying, I don't know what this guy's saying, but it's got to be more important than what you are. Well, and it's funny too because I think back to last week after the show, we were sitting down with a friend of yours. Uh, after the show, having a conversation, and it was exactly that. It was, it was a couple of words, and then uh huh, click, 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 uh, uh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and that, yeah, and then back to the conversation. And if somebody yelled at me at the, about that all the time, I would change it or quit hanging out with that person. Right. I think, but I think you just answered your own question. Now, isn't it up to you at this point to try and correct that behavior by giving them some? Yeah, some negative consequence, which is that you stop talking to them. Where I smack the cigar out of their hand and stomp it on the ground and say, come back when you're able to pay attention to me like a decent human being? I mean, you can go for the theatrics if that's your thing, but I'm just a more subtle, like, right. you know, nah, I'm, I'm going to go over here now. When, okay. when you're finished with whatever you're talking about there, we, we can continue. How about I carry a giant pair of garden shears around with me? And when they start texting, I reach up and clip the end off of their cigar, the lid end, and let it fall in their lap and say, this endeth our cigar (laughs) since you can't seem to pay me attention. I mean, am I needy? Is that what's going on here? Yeah, I think that's exactly what's... But I think you're better off with the comically large um, ribbon-cutting scissors. Oh, yeah, that would probably be much better. Yeah, I think that's the way you go. But can, can you get enough torque on those to actually snip off a 6x60? Six I don't know. Those ribbons that they cut are satin, so I know there's an edge. I okay. mean, they're not made out of cardboard. They've got to be made out of something because you, you, they will cut a satin ribbon. And I'll, This is the debate, but back to the Muchador. Oh, yeah, the, we were talking about cigars. Sorry, I, I fell off of topic because I had to stop and rail about something that irritates me. You had to climb on your soapbox for a minute. I did. Now I'm climbing off my soapbox. So what do you stock the Muchador with? Do you go cheap? Do you go medium? What does the Muchador say about the man who owns it? So I'm actually... And we talk about this quite a bit to a certain extent in a roundabout way. My humidor is pretty much my muchador. I mean, I don't smoke anything with any regularity that costs me enough money that I would feel bad. You know, like I mentioned what my humidor has in it right now. Charter Oaks and Oliva O's. Now, the Avo Heritage is on the higher end. I'm probably not sharing that unless it's someone I know is going to appreciate that cigar. But... 
you know, I, I smoke cigars that are tend to be in the eight to six dollar range when you buy a box, and and I'm fine handing one of those off. Well, and the good thing about the Avo Heritage is you can just say, "Hey, now that's like the strongest cigar Avo makes." If you're not really buckled in, you probably don't want to smoke one yeah. of those. Now, I do have a couple of one offs in my humidor. You know, I've got a Padron Twenty Six that I've been sitting on for at least two years that. You know, it's definitely hidden in the bottom and the back. And I've got a couple of, like, there was some, uh, Austin was clearing out some space on the shelves and put uh, some really good cigars in the bargain bin. And so I've, I've stocked up on a few of those. So I've got that that I would probably hold off on, despite the fact that I didn't pay very much for them. They're still cigars that I would want to hold on to. But for the most part, my humidor is my muchador. Well, one of my favorite things is I, I have kind of a muchador shelf, kind of a shelf in my humidor. You talked about this a little bit last week. Yeah, where I where I keep that, that cigar that I'm perfectly okay with somebody pulling anything off of that shelf and smoking it, and it's it's not going to put me out in any way, form, or fashion. Your, art, your undercrown shade, your charter oaks. Yeah, my smaller size undercrown shades, yeah. my, the size of shades I don't like or something like that. Then why do you buy them? I don't. I get them free when I buy a box of the good ones. <laughs> and, I, and that is the point I was coming to. Yeah, uh, freebie cigars are great for stopping a, stocking a muchador. Uh, when I bought my last box of Olivas, I got a 10-pack, and, and some of them were good. Some of them were just okay. And But those are great because if you don't know whether you're going to like it or not, you really don't have any emotional investment in, in whether or not you see them sticking around. So I think that's great. Now, one time I did order, at the time I had somebody coming fairly regular to my house that never brought cigars but always smoked one, and I did order a, a brick of Fumas mm-hmm. just for that reason. Fumas are lesser quality tobacco, Cuban sandwich style. They're just a less expensive cigar. Yeah. And I did order a brick of them just for specifically for that case. Now, the problem was I had to smoke like four of them to get him hooked. Oh, so <laughs> you know, oh no, let's have this one together tonight. Let's smoke the same cigar. And I kind of had to smoke a couple of them to get him hooked. But once I got him hooked... Then, you know, the, the trap was laid. All the, you had to do was reel it in. That's right. But, uh, now, I wonder how many of my friends are going to hear, hear this podcast to come by and say, are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, did I give you a bunch of cigars without bands on them? No? Okay, then you're good. Well, the one that I yell at all the time about his cell phone knows I'm talking about him when I'm talking about the cell phone thing. But I think it's just an interesting thing because... What's interesting is that he always knows when we're talking about him on the show because he calls us out on it later. Yeah, yeah, he always comes back to us. And... But I think you can also go too cheap in the Muchador. You can... They're like, oh, yeah, he's just a tight, you know... If they have even a basic knowledge of cigars, they'll recognize a Fuma when they see it. yeah. But that's where I think, like, the Charter Oak is at least a, a a very good cigar for the money. Like, if someone handed me a Charter Oak, I'm not going to think, oh, they're trying to offload a cheap cigar on me. Uh, you get into, like, the, the Quorums or the Perdomo Fresco, the ones that are still... The Perdomo Frescos are still a great cigar, but they're not... But you know you're being given for budget alone. Well, and if you know you have some rookie cigar smokers coming, you can always buy a good cigar just in the the petite size. Yeah, I mean that's in a always... smaller size because it'll take them as long to smoke that as it'll take an experienced cigar smoker to smoke, you know, a six by sixty. Yeah, especially you know if you're talking about the guy that that doesn't really smoke a lot, does you know? Then then I think that's a great opportunity. Here's a here's a nub. Here's a robusto. Here's something a little bit smaller, petite Corona. Yeah, so well, I think we've explored the yeah. <laughs> we've explored this topic to its fullest. But I do have a problem, sort of, with outlaying the cash for a small ring gauge cigar or a smaller size cigar that I don't particularly like. I don't really like the idea of giving up a whole lot of real estate. Again, you've got a huge cabinet. You've got some real estate. I have to be a little bit more selective in what I put in my humidor because I only have room for about fifty cigars. But I would say it's easier on clearance and on discounts to find the small ring gauge and the big ones. Yeah, because that's what's always left over. Right. That's what. That's the size generally that doesn't sell the best. So I'm speaking more from the standpoint of those are easier to find on sale. And also those are usually the giveaways. Yeah. I mean, rarely do they give away a Churchill. Yeah, it's true. All. 
So those are usually the giveaways. So we're going to step away. When we come back, I want to talk about life with you. I promise not to climb on my treadmill or climb, climb on my soapbox. We're going to discuss the hedonic treadmill. All right. Well, we'll be back with that and more after this. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under $8. We're going to talk about the Surrogate Animal Cracker. This is a cigar that I've still never had, but I think you like it quite a bit, right? I really like this cigar. I mean, it's a 5 by 50 so it's a little smaller than what I usually smoke, but it's just wonderful. The flavor is full-bodied. I mean, it is a strong, it's a Pete Johnson blend. Um... It's uh, Maduro, and it's Nicaraguan binder and fillers, and it's got a Connecticut Broadleaf Maduro wrapper. Which is a wrapper that you and I both really, really enjoy. It's one that brings a lot of flavor anytime it's used. Yeah, because so often Connecticut is associated with lighter wrappers. So to have a Connecticut Maduro is really, a, somebody put some work into that. Yeah, and don't let that word Connecticut scare you off. Connecticut Broadleaf packs a punch. You know, we've talked about it a lot. The uh, the Tennessee Waltz and the Yellow Rose of Texas both employ, and, and including this cigar that I'm smoking tonight, has a Connecticut Broadleaf wrapper, and they bring a lot of punch to the party. Well, and this cigar is going to burn slow. It's going to look like when you purchase it that it's a 30, 45-minute smoke, but you will be surprised. It takes it takes a better part of an hour to smoke this cigar. And at under $8, sub $8 for that kind of time and that kind of joy, it's hard to be beat. So enjoy the Animal Cracker by Surrogate Cigars. And welcome back to the Cigar Cast. One of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from Trey. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, so headed to Colorado tomorrow. During the will it be during this podcast drop that you are going to be running up the mountain? Yes. So Saturday at seven a.m. Mountain Time is when the race gets underway. It's a half marathon, so it's thirteen point one miles up. Pikes Peak. So the finish line is at 14,115 feet of elevation. How long do you think it'll take you? Uh, four and a half to five hours. On flat ground, how long would that take you? Uh, under two. So my flatland, or my reasonably flatland uh, half marathon is 154. And so they say to take your flatland marathon time and add 30 minutes. Okay. So I, I would approximate that my my flatland marathon time would be around the four-hour, 15-minute mark. So 4.45. Now, how much difference is the time change between here and there? One hour. So okay. Th- th- yeah, so it'll be 8 a.m. here when I uh, when I get off, when I start off. Okay, well, that, that makes sense. Now, do you do anything? I know this has nothing to do with cigars, but I have to, I'm, I'm curious. This is also about life. Um, do you do anything special to prep? Do you do anything nutritionally? Or yeah. how do you shake off the flight? Things like that. Um, so the flying doesn't really bother me. And I'm, I'm actually really lucky genetically that altitude doesn't tend to affect me terribly. Um, you know, it, it definitely will at 14,000 feet. Like once I'm at the summit, once I get above tree line, so you actually are running the last three to three and a half miles uh, are above the timberline. So it's just you and the rocks. I mean, there's nothing else up there. That's when the air gets really thin and you struggle to breathe a little bit. Your oxygen is reduced by about 25%. So now as far as prepping, you know, I've been doing a lot better job on my nutrition this year, just in general anyway. But I, I will start to limit the greasy foods and things like that starting today. Uh, in fact, tonight will probably be my last cigar before the... Uh, well, tomorrow tomorrow around lunchtime will be my last cigar before the race. And uh, that's more out of opportunity than it is prepping. Yeah, you know, you're going to be traveling. You're going to be on your own. You're going to be... I mean, is... Well, I'm staying with my aunt who lives in Colorado Springs. Okay. Um, Colorado's not terribly friendly to the... S- to the smoker 
anyway. <laughs> to the cigar smoker. To the cigar smoker. So you know, <laughs> the other smokers they seem to love. Yeah, but the you know, so so the opportunity doesn't exactly present itself while I'm out there, uh, which is fine. Uh, I typically don't curtail my cigar smoking before a race until maybe uh, the day before. Um, this time it'll be a little bit longer because this race is, you know, I had the realization a couple, about a week ago that this is without a doubt going to be the hardest thing that I've ever attempted. The race itself has 8,000 feet of elevation. So it averages out to about a 14% gradient uh, for 13 miles. It is uphill the whole way. So, yeah, like I said, would now, not... Do they have cars that take you back down, or how does that work? Yeah, so there's a, there's a shuttle that brings you back down from the top. Because I, I could just not imagine going back down being absolutely miserable. Well, the next day, they actually do the Pikes Peak Marathon, which is, according to Runner's World magazine, one of the ten hardest races in the world. In fact, this, you may have seen it, uh, I posted on Facebook last week, that they did an article on the, the craziest races in the world, and Pikes Peak Ascent and Marathon was on that list, just in case anyone wonders how crazy I am. I, uh, but yeah, so the next day is the marathon, so it's the same course I'm doing, then you get up to the top and turn around and come back. Now, are you doing both, or are you oh, just doing the Ascent? No, no. <laughs> so I, well, come on, you're there anyway. Well... <laughs> I mean, there are, there are people that do. Um, there are people that do back to back, and in my opinion, to be able to accomplish that, you would have to live at altitude. You'd have to be able to train out there to be able to accomplish that with any sort of um, effectiveness. You know, because the just climbing the mountain is a feat that many people have attempted and not even been able to, to, to do, um, to be able to do it well. And then to do it two days in a row, you've got to, that, that's where the altitude training makes a big difference. And we, I've trained on hills around here and I can get, I can get a thousand feet of elevation change in about five miles, but we're talking about a thousand feet every mile and a half to two miles up there. So it's it's climbing the whole way. It's going to be brutal. That's, uh, yeah, that's not ex- not to mention the current weather forecast is thunderstorms. So it's going to be raining on top of that. It's going to be raining. It's going to be nasty. There's a potential for snow as well. Um, it's going to be about sixty-five to seventy degrees at the start line. It's going to be sub forty at the summit. Holy cow! Yeah, and they say you know the person who wins it typically completes it in about two and a half hours. The again talking about training at altitude, training on the route, but you know, they say the people who are a little bit slower, middle of the pack, average finish time is about four and a half hours. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about average. Uh, they say anybody who finishes in about 345 or slower has a greater likelihood of running into adverse weather just because the nature of the, right. the climate there the stuff tends to build later in the day. So I have a feeling that I'm probably going to see some nasty weather on the route. Well, cool. That's awesome. I'm, I'm proud of you that you're doing it. That's an adventure in life. It is. This is, like I said, I'm, the gravity of it is hitting me, especially looking at the... <laughs> you think it's hitting you now? Wait till you're halfway up that mountain. Well, no, the gra- <laughs> gravity is going to be a big concern in your life at that point. <laughs> well, but the, I mean, the magnitude of the feat that I'm, that I'm going after is, is, would is not for the faint of heart, certainly, and and I'm taking it very very seriously. It, it this is a race that means a lot to me, and it was a I, I made the decision to run this race last July, and so I've been working towards it all year. I, I feel like I'm ready, um, but I also know again after reading the race report yesterday or t- earlier today that there's so much that you can't prepare for, and it's so unlike anything that I can prepare for that I just really don't, there's nothing to do but just go out there and do it. Well, and people, I think, underestimate how much atmosphere matters. You know, when we used to golf up on the, at the Cumberland Plateau, we'd go up to Greystone and we'd go to Fairfield Glade and play golf. And my 270-yard shot would be a lot closer to 285, 290. Mm-hmm. 
just because just that little bit of elevation change, the thinner air, the ball would fly further. Yeah, you know, and so it. You like how I acted like I hit that shot all the time? Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but no, it, you know, it's I wasn't going to call attention to it. There's so many variables, like the altitude. I think so many people being at, at that altitude is there are so few people that ever experience that altitude outside of an airplane. Right. You know, and so it it's something that you really you just have to experience. But yeah, it, it, you are lighter. You know, you're further you're further away from the center of the earth, so gravity affects you less, plus the air is thinner. So it does allow you to move a little bit quicker, but by that point you've been running for three hours. Your legs are shot. Right. You're trying to fuel yourself and the fuel is just yeah, it's un, that's that's amazing to me. But I'm very proud of you. I'm very proud, regardless of how you do. I think we're all going to be rooting for you. Well, I appreciate that. We'll have to get an update next week, and I'll it may, it may be dearly beloved. We're gathered here. <laughs> I have been told in no under uh, in, under no uncertain terms that I am required to return alive. Oh well, that's that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Good to know somebody's waiting, but I'm, I'm sure they got, you know, oxygen tent, tanks and things like that going up there. I'm sure they got, I mean, if they got in, you know, New York Marathon, people standing there holding cups of water, I'm sure there's going to be somebody there of a you oh, know, yeah. pony bottle. Yeah, they've got, they've got uh, aid stations, they call them, uh, providing some nutrition and water and Gatorade along the route. So, you know, there's about every 1.2 to 1.7 miles, there's going to be an aid station. Those are those are oases in a desert. You know, th- those you look forward to. Those I'm still carrying my own water to make the difference, and they because they say that you just oh yeah, especially the best way to combat altitude is by staying hydrated. And right. so in a race like that, hydration's a key. Any, like even on a flatland half marathon, hydration, staying hydrated is is key to success. So you add in that level of elevation and that level of exertion, and it just becomes even that much more important. Well, being as we're going to call this show the Cigar Cast, we should talk about cigars just a little bit this half. Well, it just so happens <laughs> that there was some cigar news that actually ha- broke today. I was at work, and I got a, a message from a friend of mine who's a fellow brother of the Leaf. and The Two Guys Cigar Shop on uh, online got a shipment of the... Uh, Romacraft uh, Cro-Magnum Firecrackers, which is the little four and a half by 50, uh, tiny little cigar. They're, they're huge fan favorites from Romacraft fanboys, and of which I am one. And they were sold in boxes of 20 for about 119 and change. So really affordable. I mean, their stuff, the Cro-Magnum line's really not that expensive anyway. Right. Um, but they had a limit of two boxes per person. I don't know exactly how many boxes they had. I'm sure I could find it somewhere. Uh, they sold out in an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. There's people just waiting in line for them. And I'm sure you'll see those on a lot of the Facebook groups, you know, of people wanting to turn turn a profit on that. Yeah. Well, you know, the buddy I was talking to actually said he's going to throw a couple of five-packs together to recoup some of his cost. Right. Which, which is a, that's a sound strategy, you know. People can talk about profiteering, but I got to say, if you can if you can offset the cost by selling a few, you know, if they're a $5 cigar and I really want it and I have to spend $12 to get it, I'm yeah. not feeling like I got gypped. No, absolutely. I mean, if you want something bad enough and you're willing to pay for it, it you know, it's, it's like I talked to a, a buddy of mine in the car business, right? Whether you got a good deal or a bad deal is all in how you feel about it. You know, if you walk away from, you could have you could have raked the dealership over the coals and actually caused them to take a loss. But if you don't feel like you got a good deal, then you didn't get a good deal. That's right. Meanwhile, you could walk up and pay sticker and feel like that was a great price, and that's all that matters. So it's the same kind of thing here. I, I was mistaken. It's a three and a half by fifty, not a four and a half by fifty, and it looks like there was about five hundred boxes. Oh, okay. And they sold out in about an hour and a half. Uh, about an hour and ten minutes. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. So the Cuban Monte Cristo. Let's take a moment to talk. This is a good cigar. Um, it's rolled in the Cuban style. It's burning slow. I mean, how long did you think a petite tubo would take me to smoke? I'm actually surprised that you've got a little bit of it left still. Yeah, you know, I've still you got. You haven't even had to stick it with your poker. No, no. It's it's the Cuban style roll. It burns slower. It smolders and. 
When I'm smoking the Cuban style, I tend to lead more toward just letting it smolder and enjoying the flavor. Yeah. Then, then just the quicker smoke, getting that you know that quick hit. You know, we talk about when you're shoehorning one at lunch, you're kind of just getting that quick hit. Yeah. But this one I've really enjoyed. I've actually been surprised how much I've enjoyed it. And another tubo. I don't. I guess I'm becoming the tubo guy. You must be. This is third in four weeks. Yeah, the tubo. The tubo is just a great smoke. It does have this. Does have the cedar lining in it. It don't have the little cap like the Drew Estate one had. But and, and no cellophane though, which is you know. Yeah, that's still and the I'll, weirdest thing I've ever seen. So tell me about. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm going to cut you off. I'm loving it that much. I, you know, I am not a Lancero fan because I've never had really good luck with the draw on any Lancero. And to the point that I feel like everyone who's like, oh, the Lanceros are the best, like, are just saying that to be purposefully elitist. I, right. re- I really feel that way. But that being said, this one is changing my mind on that a little bit. It's been drawing perfect ever, ever since I lit it up. It is very full-bodied, which I didn't expect, and that could be the Lancero talking. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed the Four Kicks Maduro when it first came out last year, I think it was. Yeah. And you know, haven't smoked a whole lot of them, but this is really, I mean, the, the limited edition 18, there's just a little bit extra to it. There's something, there's something about it that I'm really, really enjoying. And, I mean, I'm well over halfway through it. I'm smoking this pretty quick. But it's just giving me that that wonderful sort. It's not terribly spicy like I was expecting from all that Nicaraguan tobacco. It's much more savory, which is kind of where my palate's at right now. Still a little bit of spice on the front of the tongue, which is a lot of fun for me. Um, but it's just an all-around great cigar. Well, Lancero is all about the wrapper. You're going to, you know, when you start talking about the blend of a cigar... In a Churchill, in a Toro, a Robusto, the blend of the cigar is really important. But when you get to Lancero, you better know that wrapper, and you better know that wrapper well. Yeah. Because that wrapper is going to make all the difference in that cigar. If it's a cigar that usually, when it's 6 by 60 smokes one way, it's going to smoke polar different. Yeah, you know, and we've, we've talked about that a little bit before. You know, the wrapper is where most of your flavor comes from. And so, as, as it becomes a higher percentage of the total tobacco of your cigar it's going to increase and i think that's where the strength is coming from on this maduro wrapper um it is just i mean if you can get your hands on one of these i highly recommend it so talking about going back to life for a minute stepping back toward life so what you're doing there is you know you're taking a trip to colorado and you're doing a bucket list type item yeah going to do that that is taking you off of the hedonic treadmill. All right. You've, you've mentioned this term several times to me today. So tell me what you're talking about with the hedonic treadmill. Okay. The hedonic treadmill, the easiest way to describe it is let's talk about buying a swimming pool. Analogy on top of an analogy. Okay. But, well, it's a, the hedonic treadmill is a psychological term, and this is a psychological phenomenon. And this is an analogy pointing toward that psychological phenomenon. Okay. There are a lot of words there. So, if you buy a swimming pool, you've always wanted a swimming pool, so you work overtime and you work late and you get the money and you get to swimming pool at your house. And you go out three days later and the pool is green. Now you got to go back to work because you got to get chemicals or you got to hire a pool boy or you've got to hire a pool man. He has to have chemicals. So, you're back at work. At some point, you're working so much to pay for the swimming pool, you're not getting to enjoy the swimming. Right. And it is the process by which your stuff owns you more than you own your stuff. Um, Sitting here in the cigar shop, a lot of times with young men, I've been describing to them, hey, at this stage in your life, go for experiences. Don't go for stuff. Experiences are so much more valuable than stuff. But for some reason... We, as a society, are really on that hedonic treadmill going wide open. Well, it's the keeping up with the Joneses thing, right? Yeah, and what's the point? You know, sit back, you know, cigars take you off of the hedonic treadmill. Because no matter how much you seek that cigar out, no matter how much that cigar costs, one day you're going to have to burn it. 
And it you you know you no longer are maintenancing that hobby at that point. At that point, you're actually getting to enjoy the hobby. I will argue that the cigar is mentally more health giving than anything you can do, because it takes you out of that possessions that give me the goods, give me this, give me that. But I I think to a certain extent also though because it is not an inexpensive hobby. It, it also, it can be that, especially if you're the guy that goes after the limited editions. And the, the, I have known some people in my past that I've called friends that were, you know, kind of curators, cigar curators. They were always looking for the limited editions that you can only get at this shop or it only comes out once a year. Or, it, you know, they only harvest under the first blood moon of the winter solstice, you know, whatever it is. I think there are some... It's like the person we talked about earlier who opens up their humidor and says, oh, well, not that one. Oh, well, not that one. Oh, well, not that one. You know, always waiting for the for the special occasion that never comes. Well, you know, we have a, have a couple of guys here at the shop that every year they their goal when the aficionado top, top 25 comes out to get one cigar of each of the top 10, whether it be a Cuban, whether it be, you know, a rare release, whatever it happens to be, and they put that in a box and they keep it and they've got, you know, from 2001 all the way to 2018, these boxes of 10 cigars stacked up in their humidor. And I don't get it. What good is a cigar unless it is smoked? Yeah. I mean, I'm all for, don't get me wrong, I'm all for saving a cigar for a special occasion. But, you know, at what point, at what point do you determine that this occasion is worth that cigar and sometimes it's just that's the cigar i'm in the mood for you know i yeah. keep a box of feral picks um as they come in i generally if i'm three out of my box i'll buy three and put them in my box and you know and i keep a box of feral picks when we go on our cruise in two weeks i'll take two feral picks because there's a special time to celebrate and to smoke that cigar and there's a joy that comes from that and that's one of my top cruise cigars so, but I don't, don't let anything put you on that treadmill more than necessary. Now, we all could spend some time on the treadmill. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, a, you know, you, uh, if, if everything came easily, if, if your life was nothing but the enjoyment and none of the pursuit, then you'd lose some of the, the enjoyment. Yeah, if, I, if every time I went deer hunting, a deer walked out, tied himself to my hood, and all I had to do was shoot him and not hit the truck. I would feel kind of cheated, yeah. robbed. You know, I had a friend that just killed a bear in Alaska. But they were on a boat, and they were going up and down the shoreline, and he shot the bear from the boat. I wouldn't want to shoot a bear under those, those situations. I mean, I want to actually hunt. But is that not just a different form of hunting? It's just a different vantage point. No, to me, if you're hunting, you need to be out in the environment in the with rut. the animal. You need to be in his his element because you've got the gun. The gun is your advantage. You don't need the boat. You don't need the car. You don't need, you know, the gun is your advantage, and that should be the extent to which it's your advantage. Yeah, so you've got to level the playing field by being in his habitat. Yeah, yeah the, the term is fair chase, and I don't, I don't believe that's fair chase. I wouldn't ever feel good about that bear. So kind of like the guys that hunt alligators from the helicopter. Yeah, kind of the same the same principle. Why? Yeah, you know why bother? Why is if if all you're hunting for is to kill? If all that you're collecting for is to have? If all you want is status in life? At some point, something went wrong in your life. Yeah. Well, but the other thing I will say about the guy who shot the bear from the boat: taking a shot with a rifle from a boat requires a tremendous amount of skill. And it was a 500 yard shot. Yeah, so I, I think he gets a little bit of credit back for that because a boat is constantly moving. So you've got 500 yards, you're constantly moving, and then you've got the boat movement on top of that, not to mention being coastal, you're going to have a whole lot of wind to compensate for. I mean, that was that's a skilled move. Now, if you're on a boat in the middle of a lake, you know, in someone's backyard picking off coyotes, you know, over a planted cow carcass then yeah then then that's a cheat but well and i'm not condemning this guy that's the way he wanted to take his bear yeah and you know i don't condemn people ever how you want to enjoy your cigar 
is how I want you to enjoy your cigar. And that's how he wanted to take his bear. But I would not feel I would not feel that was a righteous hunt. Well, that, I, there were some friends of mine uh, debating on Facebook earlier in the week or last week one about uh, you know, the the game farms that you can go and you can do hunts and, and uh, one of their one of their favorite places to hunt was going to become a, a fence. Uh, there's a term for it yeah. that I'd never heard for, but they're, they're thinking about build, putting a fence around the property. And there was a lot of debate over whether or not that diminishes the accomplishment. Right, whether or not that damages the fair chase. Right. And that, that's a that's a huge topic in hunting. That and thermal imaging are two of the biggest topics in hunting right now as it comes to hurting the fair chase portion of hunting. But coming back to the hedonic treadmill. Yeah. I believe us as cigar smokers get moved off of that a little bit easier than the average man. But I feel like there is the the flip side of that, and I occasionally will slip into this, of of being so good at using the cigar to get off the hedonic treadmill that you that you're not spending enough time on it. That's true. You know, the going home and sitting on the back porch with a cigar playing video poker instead of emptying the dishwasher, for example. I'm not. My wife talked to you, did she? She did. Uh, <laughs> You know, but but those types of things where where you let, you know, this is my time, I deserve this, I need to relax. But so much of the other, the laundry, the, um, that you know, maybe you cut your walk with the dog short by a, a mile just so that you can have more time. You know, I think, I, I think it's really easy to get into that, that um, kind of roller coaster, I guess, for lack of a better term, of spending too much time off the hedonic treadmill. Well, and, you know, it's true. It's the perfect analogy because we all do need to spend some time on the treadmill. Mm-hmm. And uh, whether it hedonic or otherwise. Yes. <laughs> hedonic or polar sports, we all need to spend some time on the treadmill. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's like most things in life, there is a balance. Right. Well, like tomorrow's a perfect example. I'm going to be working from home, which I get to do about once a week, and I love it. And because it gives me the ability to work and smoke a cigar at the same time. Right. And so I get to be on it and off of it at the same time. Yeah, you get to enjoy it. You get, you get to take your time. And you have very productive time when you do that. Yeah. You don't lose the self-discipline aspect of that. But I've just been pondering that a lot lately, and I wanted to share that on the Cigar Cast. I'd like to know our listeners' opinions on this. Well, the best way for them to get those opinions to us is to reach out on Facebook at facebook.com slash thecigarcast, uh, Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast, and you know what? It's been a while, so I'm even going to say info at thecigarcast.com if you want to email us. Well, everybody, listen to us. Um, we enjoy doing this show. We enjoy being able to bring it to you. And, you know, it's like we've always said, we don't care if nobody listens, but we, it's not, it's so nice when people come up to us and say, hey, yeah, I heard you on the, heard your podcast, really enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, that's one of those things that'll make my day every time I hear it. And if you do enjoy it, just take a minute and write an iTunes review. Yeah, that really helps us uh, move up in the rankings and also helps other people find us. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.